Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. Glad that you could join us. Good morning, Keith, and to the rest of you as we continue to look at Isaiah. So we're going to press on a little further today. At least that's the plan. But I want to both model for you and exhort you as you do your Bible study. Read and reread and re-re-re-read. Read and read and keep reading over and over again, places you've been. I had to emphasize this to our NCST students again last night. You've got to get away from the commentaries, get away from the theology books, and know the scripture. These books, these letters, uh, these prophecies were written, and they're, they're not just verses at a time. Uh, there's there are themes that repeat, and you need to see those connections, those associations. Then things just open up for you. So we're going to do that. I want to model that for you. Uh, interestingly, uh, Lon asked uh, or put a comment on uh, a few videos ago that I just got to yesterday, uh, where he was asking a question about these visions of Isaiah and wondering, uh, you know, do we know um, do we know if they were sort of re repeated for Isaiah was the prophet for several administrations, right? Several different Kings. And a, there's a lot of similarity in these visions and just kind of asking, is there reiterations, repetition from one to the other, or are they all isolated? And you know, how do we, how do we put all this together? And I told you from, from the very beginning, that's a difficult question with Isaiah because we know he saw these different visions and his mode was to speak them, to, to tell uh, the people and the kings about what he saw. And then he would write them down and someone, could be Isaiah, but someone collected them all into this one scroll or what we call the book of Isaiah uh, and put them in order in a way uh, that makes sense for the editor. And we've got to figure out why he put things in the order he did. And, and it's like a, like a puzzle or a investigation. Anyway, that's what we're doing. We're going to go back and catch some of the context here. And then we're going to stop and see something that uh, will just be interesting to think about. And then we'll get on to our new section today, all and still keeping within our time constraints, because I realize I've been get, getting a little looser with that. And I'm going to tighten it up again. All right. So chapter 26. We've been looking at this. This is the song that will be sung in the land of Judah in that day. And one of the questions we have to this whole thing is what day, right? We talked about how this seems like New Jerusalem here. Like he's, they're going to sing this song after Jerusalem is destroyed. And now they're singing, we have a strong city with walls and ramparts for security or salvation uh, that God sets up. So it seems like New Jerusalem here. Open the gates that the righteous nation may come in. Um, the one that remains faithful. We talked about that. The steadfastness of mind. The call to trust in the Lord forever. He, is, he has conquered the unassailable city, which shows that it wasn't unassailable after all. He lays it low. Uh, the feet of the afflicted will trample down their enemies of God, the enemies of God's people. Uh, he will make our way smooth. His judgments, we've waited for them. Uh, the, the true follower of God, the true 
lover of God, uh, just wants to preserve his name and his renown. Uh, at night, his soul, the, the, the true believer's soul, longs for the Lord. His spirit seeks him diligently. The wicked are shown favor, but they don't learn anything from it. And uh, even when the righteous are shown hard times, uh, they just grow in their devotion to the Lord and so on. Uh, we, we covered all of this. So then we get to, uh, to this interesting section here. O Lord, our God, other masters besides you have ruled us. Right? So we talked about that, how for the people of Israel, they have had uh, many masters like Pharaoh and different uh, kings of the Canaanite lands during the period of the judges and so on. Um, so they've had other masters, but through you alone, O God, we confess your name. And then this uh, fascinating, the dead will not live, the departed spirits will not rise, you punished them, you destroyed them, you wiped out all remembrance of them, and we we tied that back to uh, the, the, the dead spirits of the kings who had ruled over them, and uh, they're gone. God took care of them. All those kings are dead. God lives, and his people live, but those masters, those rulers of old, God has taken them out of the way. They, they don't live forever. Uh, you've increased the nation, O Lord. This would be the nation of Judah in context here. Uh, you've increased the nation. You are glorified. You have extended all the borders of the land. So Isaiah sees the growth and extension of, of Judah. And if it's still in the context that we started with in chapter, in verse 1, this would be the new Jerusalem. God is going to increase Judah, the new Judah, and increase the new nation and extend the borders of the new city. So this would be church growth all over the world. O Lord, they sought you in distress. They could only whisper a prayer. Your chastening was upon them. So now he's seeing again, or they're singing again, about God's judgment of his people or his enemies or something here. As the pregnant woman approaches to give birth, she writhes and cries out in labor pains. Thus we were before you. We were pregnant. We writhed in labor. We gave birth only to wind. We could not accomplish deliverance for the land, nor were the inhabitants of the world born. So here, they're, as they're singing this song, they're saying we were suffering, but we couldn't deliver ourselves. We couldn't do anything about it. We were like a woman who is pregnant, but when it comes time and she pushes and tries to get the baby out, there's no baby at all. It's just wind. So we couldn't do anything. Uh, we needed you to do something to deliver us. And then we have this interesting phrase, and I, we didn't spend much time here, uh, but I want to spend a little bit more time here. Your dead will live. Their corpses, literally it's carcasses, will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. So uh, I think it was Peter, uh, Peter Woods, I believe is his name. Uh, it's not someone that I know personally, but uh, we've met through uh, through some time online here. Um, he made a comment on the video that we looked at this passage here that this sounds a lot like the dry bones scene 
in Ezekiel. If you remember that uh, that vision, Isaiah, I mean, Ezekiel is taken out by the Lord. Sorry for those of you on video, you had to watch me rub my eyes because, as I told you, my allergies are in, uh, in high effect right now. Whew. Um, so he's the Lord takes Ezekiel out and he shows him this valley of dry bones. And he says, son of man, can these bones live? And uh, God eventually shows Ezekiel that these bones take on flesh. And so now they're an entire body. They're not just bones anymore. They're not just skeletons, but they're dead bodies lying on the ground. And then God breathes into them. Ezekiel prophesies and he, and the Lord sends a spirit and breathes life into them. They come alive. And I take that to be uh, the, the new covenant, uh, dead people, spiritually dead coming to life in the new covenant. That's what I think he's getting at there because of the, the context and so on. The difference here is, and so Peter was saying it's, this passage sounds a lot like that, and it does. And it may be. Uh, this may be Isaiah seeing a similar scene of true Jews, which we now know are made up of Jews and Gentiles, coming to faith, being born again by God's spirit, the, the new birth we talk about, that Christians. That's what Ezekiel was seeing, and that could be what Isaiah is seeing. However, there's a little bit of difference in it, and uh, so it makes me wonder if there's something else going on here instead of that. He says, your dead will live, their carcasses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. So this is clearly a scene of resurrection. The question is, is it a spiritual resurrection like Ezekiel saw, or is it a bodily resurrection? And there are certain phrases here that point me in the direction of bodily resurrection more so than spiritual. It says, for your due is as the dew of the dawn, as uh, the, the lights, so the, it's, this is the morning, uh, the morning lights and the, the wetness on the, on the ground, and the earth, the land, will give birth to the departed spirits. Uh, that's the part that makes me think this is more bodily. It, it seems closer in my reading here of uh, the bodies are in the ground, the spirits have departed, and now they're coming back together. Makes me wonder, did Paul have this passage in mind when he wrote 1 Corinthians 15? Right, he says there, there, I'm telling you a mystery, something that was in the Old Testament, but now has been revealed fully in Christ, that we will all be changed and take on this immortal body. Is that what he's saying? The corpses will rise, those who are lying in the dust will awake and shout for joy. The earth will give birth. The bodies, resurrected bodies here. And then we have this passage, come my people. And now this would be believers. Uh, still, let's keep it in the Jewish context for a moment. Um, those who are faithful to the Lord, come, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while 
until indignation runs its course. Literally, this is passes over. Until indignation, until fury passes over with echoes of the, uh, the Exodus time period. Remember, God told the Jews, go into your homes, put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, and the angel of death will pass over your household as it goes through the land of Egypt to kill all the firstborn. That's the same wording here and the same picture. Enter into your rooms, people. Uh, Jews, enter into your rooms. Close your doors. Hide while the fury of God passes over. So in the context here, it, it, it would, it maybe it would be like um, the Jews here, some of you are going to, you're going to die and you're going to go to your rooms and wait until God's fury has passed. For behold, the Lord is about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the land for their iniquity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. What does that mean? The earth has been covering those who are slain and those who were killed whose blood was shed by whom is this again coming back to resurrection is this uh, these people are going to go the, the God's people are going to go and hide in the room for a little while but eventually those who died by bloodshed will be uncovered those who are slain by the wicked will be uncovered after God punishes those who um, who did this? I don't know. This might be resurrection that uh, I, that Paul sees and that he's referring to this. All right, I see a couple comments here. Let me let me take a look. Uh, Keith said, "Whoops." Any tie into the raising of the dead when Jesus is on the cross? Uh, maybe, maybe we talked about that that one day. Uh, maybe. Peter says, I believe they could represent both spiritual and resurrection bodily rebirth when we will eventually be fully glorified. Yeah, could be. Uh, certainly could be. I, would, uh, I guess what I'm adding here is it seems to me like Ezekiel is, is new birth spiritual life more so than bodily resurrection, Ezekiel 37, uh, where this seems to be uh, at least focusing on the bodily part. Lon says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was skillfully made and wrought in the depths of the earth, uh, bodily creation from the earth. So um, what's the tie in here, Lon? Would that be, because that's talking about in the womb, right? In uh, uh, Psalm 139, isn't that uh, the body, David, the psalmist in his mother's womb? Uh, are you seeing a, a parallel that the, the uh, well, well, give me a little more what, uh, what you're kind of thinking there. Anyway, it's so interesting to think about uh, because we shouldn't think of 
the New Testament authors as simply pulling new stuff out of their head or even uh, even that the Spirit is revealing brand new things to them. Uh, certainly there are new elements, but so much of what the New Testament teaches us is already here in the Old Testament. And so we got to start putting some of this uh, together to, uh, to see it. All right, Lon, follow it up here. Uh, creation from dust, birth is somehow related to earth and God. Uh, birth is, yes, and new birth is, and resurrection is. Paul goes on to say that, right? Your, your old body goes into the, to the ground, and it's raised an imperishable body kind of thing. So I wonder if that's not what, uh, what Isaiah is picturing here. All right, so we, we talked about this yesterday. In that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, with his fierce and great and mighty sword, even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the city. And in this section, in that day, a vineyard of wine, sing of it. Sing of this vineyard of wine, this vineyard of delight. Now this vineyard is bringing a song to sing. And it's good. Is This is all good here. I, the Lord, am its keeper. I water it every moment. So that no one will damage it, I guard it night and day. I have no wrath. So this is different, right? Now his wrath is spent. This is after God has poured out his indignation. He says, go hide for a little while and wait to my fury. Well, this is after the fury. And I, I love my vineyard. I'm watering it. I'm keeping it. I'm protecting it from any damage. I've spent my wrath. Should someone give me briars and thorns in battle, then I would step on them. I would burn them completely. I wouldn't bring the briars and thorns uh, to come on my, on my vineyard and, and uh, let weeds grow up. No, no, no. I'm going to keep all the weeds and briars out. I would burn up these, these weeds, these briars, these thorns, because I am protecting my vineyard. Oh, let him rely on my protection. Let him make peace with me. Let him make peace with me. And in the days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel, excuse me, Israel will blossom and sprout and will fill the whole world with fruit. So now God is taking care of his vineyard, protecting it from all the weeds. He's at peace. And now Jacob is, is going to be planted, take root, and then sprout, blossom, and cover the whole earth. Now, here's what I started at the beginning saying you've got to read and reread and reread uh, whatever you want to. Uh, understand the scripture. Remember back in chapter 5. In chapter 5, God also speaks of Israel as his vineyard. But the message there was very different. So let's go back and look at this. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. This is Isaiah singing about God and his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard in a fertile soil. He dug it all around, removed its stones, planted it with the choicest vine. So he's taking care of it, right? He built a tower in the middle of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes. So he protected his vineyard, gave it every chance of prosperity and growth, and expected it to bear fruit. But it only produced worthless ones. Compare that to the vision in chapter 27. Now, this vineyard, it will 
take root, blossom, and sprout, and produce fruit, so, so much fruit it covers the whole world. So something has changed between the first vision and the second one. Well, here's what he goes on and says the first time. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall. It will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. You see the connection? God's going to leave the vineyard to be overrun with briars and thorns. But here in Isaiah 27, he said, should someone give me briars and thorns in battle, I would step on them and I would burn them completely. I'm not going to allow the briars and thorns to take hold now. So something has changed. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteous, but behold, a cry of distress. Again, similar terminology, bloodshed and distress. The people in the city are killing. So, so men of Judah and Israel are killing God's people. They are shedding blood in the city. So these are the, the wicked Israelites killing uh, others. Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field. Remember we talked about this. This is they are getting rich and fat, taking advantage of the poor Jews and so on. And God pronounces judgment. Uh, they're no longer singing uh, the tambourines and so on. Therefore, my people go into exile for their lack of knowledge. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its throat. That's the place of the dead. And it's swallowing up all the people. So the common man will be humbled and the man of importance abased. But the Lord of hosts will be exalted in judgment. And he goes on here uh, in like manner, just more and more judgment scenes, judgment scenes. Seemed like there was one. Uh, he's going to call a distant nation to come and, and destroy them, wipe them out. Um Anyway, so we see the similarities, except this time Isaiah sees a vision of the vineyard being protected and blossoming and covering the whole earth. So it's a dramatically different scene. And then yet, in chapter 27, verse 7, he makes this very interesting statement. Like the striking of him who has struck them, has he struck them? Or like the slaughter of his slain, have they been slain? Here, Isaiah sees again God striking his people, slaying his people. So before Jacob takes root and fills the whole world with fruit, He's going to be struck down. And to see what that is talking about, because we're given some more specific information, you'll have to come back tomorrow. All right. I see a couple of comments here. Let's, uh, let's pull this up. Lon says, 
Uh, oh yeah, we already talked about that. So Grateful says, Paul went to heaven more than once is plausible. So experienced this and taught the Thessalonians. He said to them, some would not die. So it had to have happened to them. No. Uh, and then she follows up with, he said, I tell you a mystery. Is that related? Interesting. So um, what we don't know is the timing of some of that, right? Uh, we know, yes, Paul went into the third heaven, he said, and he saw things that he either couldn't um, couldn't uh, reveal or wasn't allowed to. Um, I'm trying to think of what the connection here would be. That, so the word mystery in the Bible, the word mystery means something that was hidden that has now been revealed. So whenever Paul says, I'm telling you a mystery, he's saying, look, this was there. This was in the Old Testament. This truth appeared prior, but it was it was kind of covered up. You, you could see sort of the outline of it, but you couldn't really tell uh, the fullness of it. So I uh, think of it like a shadow, right? When you look at a shadow of something, like if a, if a man walks up and the sun's behind it and you see the shadow, but you can't see the man, you can make out some of it. You can kind of tell certain features of the shadow, but it's not like looking at the man himself, right? You can't tell what color his skin is. You can't tell what color his eyes are. Uh, you don't really see a clear definition of his face and, and his, his body shape. And depending on the angle, the shadow can be make him look way taller or way shorter than he really is. So you, you get some idea, but it's so drastically different when you can actually see the, the man himself. That's the kind of thing, that's what a mystery is in the Bible. It's there, but then Jesus comes and we no longer see the shadow, we see the real thing. And it it's in living color and we see all the features uh, clearly. So that's what Paul means by, um, by mystery. And so there in Thessalonians, yeah, he's saying, I'm telling you a mystery, those who are dead in Christ will rise first. The question is timing. The question is timing. So maybe, maybe that plays into it. Uh, there's so much uh, in the New Testament, and, and we do need to let the New Testament have priority here. Um, but I do want us to kind of get our get our heads in the uh, Jewish mindset and see what they were thinking before we go full on to the New Testament. So yeah, good thoughts, good thoughts. And on a personal note here, Lon says, have you tried an air purifier for inside relief of your allergies? The problem is, problem is we don't have uh, air conditioning. There's only a couple weeks out of the year that that we really need it. And uh, so we just haven't bought it. So we have uh, air coming in from the outside all the time through the windows. So I don't know if a purifier would be able to fight against that too much. But I appreciate the, the thought. All right, folks, think about that. Tomorrow we'll come back and we will look at the rest of uh, or the next section in Isaiah 27 and see how Paul interprets it because it's going it, to it's going to stretch you for some of, for those of you who weren't with us in the uh, Romans course. It's going to stretch you a bit, maybe. We're going to talk about atonement, and atonement doesn't mean what you think it means, to quote Princess Bride. All right, have a great day, folks. We'll see you, Lord willing, tomorrow.